0: You're listening to the NASM
1: CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine.
0: Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I have a little interesting thing that took place today. So uh, a few days ago, a little schedule change happened, and suddenly I was in need of somebody to be on the show with me, otherwise you just have to listen to me talk. So what better person to reach out to than family? So I reached out to my cousin, Brian Ritchie, who, by the way, just happens to have a book that he uh, just got published by the- Congratulations on your book, cuz. Thanks,
1: man, thanks, I appreciate it.
0: I'm really, really quite excited for you and I've read through it. Um, It's really good,
1: man. Good, I'm glad you enjoyed. it. I got, it's strange when they asked me to do this, it was a unique opportunity. I was approached actually at idea. I had just taught a class on the spine and someone came up to me and said, have you ever thought about doing, writing a book? And I was like, "Mm, not really, but okay, let's talk. And it took about a year of proposals, going back and forth, you know, writing the table of contents, doing this, doing that. And finally it was June of 2018, I guess. uh, And they said, okay, it's been approved. Cool. Amazing. And now you have one month to get, or no, you have two weeks to get us the first two chapters. What? (gasps) Oh, okay. And guess, get this. In the middle of those two weeks was ideal world. I'm teaching five classes. Wow. So yeah. I said, oh, yeah. by the way, I have a job. Yeah. I said, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. Uh, I said, give me a month, I promise I'll get it to you. I, you know, I wrote what I could on the airplane, going to, going from, between classes, you know, putting things down, and it's funny, but if they hadn't held me to such a strict timeline, yeah, it takes forever. But when True. you know you got a deadline you got to do it. It's not just, just yeah, turn it in when you feel like it. No, it's you got to do it. You got to do it. Also, you're in D.C., right? Yeah. All right. So an idea world was held in Southern California. Was it San Diego or L.A. that year? That was L.A. Uh, Yeah, L.A. that year. Yeah. So
0: um, I'm going to I'm going to say that you get a lot of work done on a six hour flight.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a long uh, flight. You've made that trip a lot
0: of times. So. I have. as a matter of fact, I have a friend named Peter Shankman who was under the gun to to finish his book, and he knows that he does a lot of work on airplanes. So what he did was booked a round-trip flight to Tokyo. Oh geez And he worked straight to Tokyo. And then turned around so he could come back, and the Tokyo, the people in Japan stopped him and were like, um, "Something's very strange about this." So they ended up like calling the publisher and making sure that he wasn't just some weirdo. And they were like, "He is weird, but this is his working mechanism, right?" So anyway, out of uh, forty hours in the air, uh, he wow. landed with a completely finished
1: book. Wow, that's I what. That's one way to do it. I know for me, it was more like sitting here with some headphones on and just sort of focusing and writing, writing, writing. That's how I got it done. You know, That's every time well, done. Well, like, you know, I have clients every day and you know, we would have a cancellation. Well, what do we do during a cancellation? We catch our breath. I actually have to run this business. I own Fit for Life DC, which is a medical exercise studio here. And so I still have to run the business, but I'd sit down and I'd be like, okay, I've got an hour go. And I would just write, just write as much as I could. And then, okay, my next client then sit down and write. And then you go back through it and you say, okay, what was good about it? What wasn't here and there? The funny thing is, is our, our industry evolves so much. And so often that I've read a lot of journal articles and things since writing the book. And I'm like, oh, man, I really wish I'd put that in. Oh, yeah. I added this or done that. And, you know, an update, an update in a couple of years. I can I can add more. That's right. That's why they have second editions, my friend. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, something else interesting I didn't know until we got on the call chatting before uh, we, we actually started the podcast is that. You used to work in radio.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I started, okay, when I graduated high school, uh, one of my dreams was to do stand-up comedy. So I started doing that. I did that for three years uh, professionally. And, you know, low-level gigs, mid-level max, mostly as the opening act, uh, sometimes as a middle, never headline. But I did okay. Not great, but did okay. Uh, And from there, I got into radio. And started getting into talk radio. Uh, I was very edgy and whatnot, and thought I'd be the next Howard Stern. Granted, I had never heard Howard Stern. I had already heard of him. Being in Hawaii, we had no real shock jocks, so it was just me trying to do this. And oh, was it bad? Oh, it was. Horrible. <laughs> I've listened back to some of those episodes, and I'm like, why <laughs> did anyone listen to this? <laughs> oh. But it got my feet wet and I did some alternative music. Uh, I got into regular news broadcasting uh, for radio and whatnot, uh, things like that. And you know, trans went from that and started doing a few other things, got into acting, did behind the camera, did in front of the camera, done a lot of different things. So when people ask you, my wife says this all the time, how can you get up in front of all these people and do this? How can you talk? It's like, it's so natural.
0: Doing yeah. Stand-up.
1: I've opened for big names. You know, I've done thousands of people in a room and I don't really get that nervous to me. It's more like excitement. It's like, yeah, let's do this. It's and, more
0: exciting when there are more people there. It's like, you're nervous when there's five in a room.
1: Oh, I got to tell you, I had that happen. I was, I was slammed last year at PTI East idea, personal trainer East. I was slammed in five classes. I mean, packed to the gills and one of my classes, I had five people. It just so happened that it was first thing in the morning and, you know, they were the ones who showed up. And it felt so weird. It felt yeah. so odd that I actually went out and sat down with them because I was like, right. what else am I going to do? Normally, I'm used to entertaining a whole lot of people. And now it's sort of like now it's like in my living room. There's yep. so many people here, <laughs> you know, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun and it was a great class. But when you're used to big crowds, you have right. that energy. And I don't know if you've discovered this. I'm still, I'm sure you are too. I'm still teaching and I teach uh, for Balanced Body and I've done, you know, NASM Optima last year and I've done a bunch of different uh, conferences. I miss the feedback because I don't Uh-oh. know if my yeah. jokes are hitting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't this guy throwing these lame-o jokes out there and not hitting whatsoever and have everybody going, oh my gosh, he is so boring. I can't believe, you know, telling these dad jokes and all this crap but oh yeah you don't get that feedback and you know when no. you when you're killing you know when you're up there and they are rolling and you're getting your information across but they're laughing they're having a good time it's a blast you know when you're hitting it and when you don't have that feedback it's like ooh did it was it good was it fine Right, and you don't really know
0: And that's the thing about radio, too, because I did radio for several years. Uh, Big River Broadcasting, Kicks 96, was my first gig. It was country music. And I didn't listen to country music, but I was an on-air personality. And then followed into uh, WVNA, uh, Classic Rock 100. We use our real names because we are not afraid to rock. So I did that for, (laughs) for several years. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And that transition starts to happen, right, where you now have a skill set that you've developed and hopefully and still developing um, to try to, to create something else. And it's turned into this show, which I'm really uh, excited about. It's, it's been doing quite well. So, again, thank you for everybody out there who's listening to the show and, and making. And now I don't want to keep y'all waiting and be like, all right, now we listen to this show because we wanna learn stuff. And so here we are just having a conversation, but this is what happens when family catches up. So <laughs>
1: I apologize, thank you
0: for, for entertaining me with uh, uh, allowing me to entertain uh, my, my cousin Brian. But let's get started into some of the stuff. So sure. what we're gonna do now is we're gonna look at this as an opportunity to, to discuss the back, right? And there's, there's a lot of lower back pain and discomfort. There are a lot of people who are personal trainers who are working with folks that have lower back pain and discomfort. And here's the thing, we as personal trainers are not equipped or educated or, it is, or we, even within our scope of practice to work with people um, in, in order to mitigate pain. Like that is a pain management's not our thing. However, I do remember um, somebody, I, I think it might've been like um, Juan Carlos Santana they basically said, look, if you're trying to get nobody with back pain uh, and 80% of the population at some point has back pain, you're not going to have any clients. Exactly. So we are going to work with people that have lower back pain and discomfort, just like we might work with somebody with diabetes or heart disease. And our job isn't to fix that, but certainly our job can help to mitigate some of those uh, situations and outcomes. So let's, uh, let's talk about scope of practice and from you and your perspective, right? Mm-hmm. As, a, as a medical exercise uh, specialist, what do you do and how can we fit into this, this kind of allied healthcare equation where in a subclinical level, we have a
1: contribution? Right. Well, first of all, what you said was right on. We don't deal with pain. Okay. We don't deal with pain at all. If someone's in an acute situation, they come into me with low back pain that they are acutely inflamed. I send them home. I send them to their doctor. Okay. Cause it's not my job to prescribe medication. It's not my job to give modality. It's not my job to do any of that. My job is strictly exercise. Okay. I'm able to help people manage their condition through exercise, but it's not to replace physical therapy. It's not to replace the physician. It's to work after they've completed those things. So when someone finishes physical therapy, they have residual functional deficits. They have issues that are not all together taken care of. So what do they do? They go to the gym. They want to exercise, but if we're not allowed to work with them as personal trainers, because they have some injury, well then they're worse off just to go out on their own and say, here, try these things. Yeah. To me, it's important to understand what the different conditions are, to understand what's going on with the conditions, and more importantly, to understand what the contraindications are. Because to me, if you know the contraindications, if you know what not to do, you can help this person. However, if you have no clue whatsoever, you're just gonna hurt them, right? I actually had a staff member uh, working with someone and I, someone with spondylolisthesis. And I told her, I said, please don't ever let her go into back extension. She has spondylolisthesis. That's contraindicated. You want to keep her in a flexion posture. Okay, okay. Well, she was on her own with the client and had her doing back extension work because she thought she knew better. And ah. this client and the client was back in the doctor's office. And if you want to piss off a doctor, you know, ruin their, their, their patient, put them in more pain. Right. Uh, And which doesn't go well for you as a business owner either. No, not at all. And that, that's the whole thing is this was someone that I knew and liked as a client. I mean, she was great to me and my family when we first moved here. So I felt so horrible. Needless to say, that trainer didn't last very long with me. Um, What my thing is, is understand what not to do. If you can understand what not to do first, first of all, understand the condition. If you can understand the condition, that's incredibly important. Then understand what not to do, okay? Then understand what spinal position to put them in. And that usually goes along with the contraindications. Once you've got that, you can create exercises that are going to keep them safe and focus on what we need to work on first for the most part is stability. We need spinal stability more than anything else uh, in order to get people stronger and to support their spine. Too often we get into mobility exercises right off the bat, and unfortunately, if you don't have a stable spine, well, you're creating additional mobility, and you're going to create a very lax joint, which can lead to really incredible pain for someone.
0: Well, yeah, when I when I look at this, I remember uh, we talk about joint stability and. I can do this with my hands and you can see it, people who are watching this can see it, but it's like fist. And if you're asking for flexion and extension, but you don't have stability in this kind of, you know, 360 direction and this a multi-dimensional direction asking for range of motion, you know, forward and backwards and flexion and extension isn't going to provide you anything if you can't stabilize the vertebrae on top of each other. So, that, I think that's very important. But one thing I want to do, I want to ask you right now is can we let's break down what happened with this client and why. So, you mentioned the spondylolisthesis. Right. So, let's talk about let's talk about spondylolisthesis, what it is, why extension would be bad and then what you're looking to do and what should have happened and happened up until that point with this particular client or any client. What is, what is the not to do's and what are the to do's with this particular situation?
1: All right. Spondylolisthesis basically is an anterior slippage. So what you have is, I'm going to say L5, S1, that's the most common. So S1, your sacrum sits here and it's at a downward angle. You're going to take the joint above it okay, that L5, and now you have an anterior slippage. It's shifting forward. Now, if you can just imagine what's happening in the back end, let me use this guy, okay, so if you can see down here, if this was sliding forward back here where the nerve root is coming out, okay, that area is going to decrease. That area is going to become very small. It's going to cause impingement. It's going to be causing issues. That is gonna lead to sciatic pain. That's gonna lead to greater issues down the road. This person needs to be put into more of a flexion posture to open up that that space, okay? So that space needs to have freedom to move. So you're gonna go into a flexion posture and open that up. I don't know if you can see that, but if you go into extension, it tightens that up. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then if you go into a flexion posture where you're tucking your tailbone under, it opens that up. Now that's going to give an opportunity for those nerve roots coming out of there to breathe. They're going to have room to, you know, they're going to not be as impinged. You're not going to have that sciatic nerve pain going down the leg. Uh, Okay. And that's the issue with spondylolisthesis for the most part. Now there are different types mm-hmm. okay? because you have everything from a grade one all the way up to a grade five. And that's the percentage at which it slipped forward. Grade okay. one grade one is about b- under 25% slippage. Grade two is up to 50% slippage. And it goes on and on until mm-hmm. it's completely basically dislocated. Now that slippage, uh, For us, we're going to encounter usually people who are grade one. I've seen some grade twos, and we've been able to reverse that and been able to get them incredibly strong and incredibly stable, but we always have to focus on keeping them in a posterior tilt. That's going to be what we call their neutral spine. So everybody hears the word neutral spine, and they want to picture, you know, where that pelvis, where the ASIS is equal to the PSIS, right? That's going to be your neutral spine. But for some people, that's going to cause them pain. So for those people, we actually want to find their neutral spine. So for someone with spondylolisthesis, they're going to want to be in a slightly posterior tilt or a heavy posterior tilt, depending on the individual, in order for them to get out of pain. And a lot of times, they're going to learn that from their physical therapist. The PT is going to tell them, here's where you need to be. And you're going to hear from the physical therapist, first of all, If someone comes to you and says they have a spondylolisthesis, stenosis, disc herniation, whatever it is, make sure you talk with their doctor. Make sure you talk with their physical therapist because chances are, if they've been through physical therapy, they've been given, you know, exercises to do already, and they've been told, do not go into extension. They've been told this already, but they need to be reminded about it. And for us, we need to make sure we manage that condition for life. Because unless they've had surgery, they can still dislocate that. It may slide back. It may be in a happy place and you've gotten the muscle stronger and everything's nice and stable. But you know what? It can still slide forward. You can still go into that if you go into extension, if you do something that you're not supposed to. Gotcha. Uh,
0: I also, one of the things that may not connect with a lot of people is there's actually a word in there, list which means shift, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a listing or a shifting. So one of the things that we can, we can use to help us remember that is that this, the spinal listing or the spinal shifting, we've maybe heard that a ship um, might hit something and there's a list or a shift mm-hmm. or something like that. So, so it's just words to help us remember what's going on. Um, with that being said, let me do a quick reintroduction. This is Brian Ritchie. Brian Ritchie is uh, the owner and the operator of Fit for Life DC in the DC area. And, uh, and, and uh, he is a, a medical expert, a, med- a medical exercise expert and specialist. And uh, tell us a little bit about Fit for Life DC, what you do, and then let's get more onto the topic of, uh, of assessment.
1: Sure. We're a medical exercise studio. Uh, 95% of the people that walk through our door have some kind of medical condition, whether it be orthopedic, neurologic, metabolic in nature. Uh, we work closely with chiropractors, physical therapists, and physicians to help them manage their uh, their clients or their patients, They're, become our clients, help them manage those medical conditions through strictly exercise. We do not do any modalities. We don't do ice or heat or ultrasound or muscle stem or anything like that. All we do is exercise. And so that's obviously our focus. Uh, Pretty much we've seen everything you could imagine walk through our door. Uh, There's very few things that we haven't seen over the years uh, that have come through. And we've had a lot of success at it. There have been very few people that we haven't been able to uh, get stronger. And, you know, I hate to use the word become more pain free, but... If you are able to strengthen, a lot of times people sit across from me here when I'm doing their assessment, we're going to get into assessments in a minute, and they say, oh, can you help me? I say, sure, absolutely, I can help you. I say, but I'm not going to be focusing on the pain. I cannot guarantee that you're going to be in less pain, but you can be functional and in pain or non-functional and in pain. Mm. You have a choice. My choice would be to have you be strong and functional. And oftentimes, when you become strong and more functional, you are more stable. Joints want to be stable. They naturally have an inherent nature to want to be stable. And unfortunately, a lot of times we see injuries when a joint becomes a little, when we have instability, more unstable joints. So we want to create that stability. We want that stability to be in there. So when we get them stronger and we get them more stable, a lot of them do have a reduction in pain. But I tell them right from the get-go, my job is not to get you out of pain, it's to make you more functional, it's to make you stronger, it's to make you more stable.
0: That's perfect, that's perfect, It's a good way to think about it. And we know through not just uh, our ability to, to work with people one-on-one, so with our upper observation and our experiences that exercise is very helpful for people who are in pain. And again, not the point of it are, uh, you know, I, I didn't sign up and say, hey, let me be a personal trainer um, to help people that are in pain. However, fitness can help people that are in pain.
1: Absolutely. And so,
0: it, you know, I didn't I don't train people for the purpose of lowering their uh, LDLs, but it does that. Mm-hmm. Right. So we we have things that we do that we're good at. We need to understand a lot of things, so we need to understand more about people with with morbidities, and we need to understand more about people with contraindications. Mm-hmm. And as you said, number one, being very aware of what not to do. Yes, I think that's that's really paying attention to that, being aware of what not to do. Um, and in some cases, it's like, all right, well, let's just avoid this area, right? But there's also a a great disservice is that if I can work with somebody, maybe they're in pain, my goal isn't to get them out of pain, but my goal might be to stabilize their spine Mm -hmm. through stabilizing the spine. They happen to get out of pain. Fantastic. Right. Fantastic. But I didn't go in there with that purpose. My purpose is to help create stability around the spine. And as you said, and I loved it uh, to, to, so that you can be, become more functional and, you could be in pain and dysfunctional or you can be in pain and still be able to. And, and, and the exercise in so many instances mitigates that pain. Um, so, again, just getting the scope of practice balance and understanding where we are and that and our purpose. If anybody comes to me and they are in pain and you said it, an, acutely in pain, Bottom, right, like we're today is not the day we're not working out. Message yep. me before if somebody is an inclination to shift towards things like uh, rheumatoid arthritis. So let's say they have that and there's a a flare up, right? Exactly. Don't like don't today is not the day we're not we're not working out today. Like let me know in advance if you can,
1: um, but if it's not gonna happen, it's not gonna happen. And that's uh, so, condition. Though. Yeah, go ahead. You know that's every medical condition because we can also talk about someone with diabetes or high blood pressure. If their blood pressure is too high or their blood sugars too high or whatever it is, these are all reasons to, you know, tell them today is not the day for exercise. Now, what most people don't realize is, and this is something that I'm big on, especially in my class, is know what you don't know. We have an, our industry, when people first start out, I'm sure you were like this because I was very much like this. I didn't want to turn anybody away. So for me, it was just like, I always said, yeah, you got, oh, sure. You're a lacrosse player. I can make you better. You're a long distance runner. Sure. You have back pain. Sure. I can do all of these things. Did I know anything? I had no clue, but I was hungry because I, I had their best intentions at heart and I thought I could help them. And if you don't know, be willing to admit you don't know. Okay. Be willing to admit that you don't know, find out. Okay. First of all. If you have a client who has low back pain, talk to their doctor, talk to their physical therapist, find out contraindications, find out what you should and should not do. Okay. Because that's going to give you a guideline. That's going to give you some structure. But that's one reason why I wrote this book. It's not just for fitness professionals, but it's also for the general population because so many people come out of seeing their doctor or their physical therapist and they have no idea what a disc herniation meal means. Yeah. They've heard the term, but they don't know what it means. And for me, I wanted to make sure that it's like, okay, in plain language, here's what it is. And for personal trainers that they can read this and think, oh, that's what it is. And that's why, you know, Dr. Jones told me to not do this exercise. I got it now. Okay. That's why they don't want me doing crunches with that person. I get it. It's more of understanding. And when you know what you don't know now and you're thinking, oh, okay, this is the reason why. Okay. I can move forward and I can make them better. Again, goes back to those contraindications. I can create around that and say, okay, I got this. And now I can create a program for this person to get them better. Well, when you talk about creating a program, uh, that
0: everything comes back to assessment. So in yep. your book, you talk about how people can do self-assessments. Mm-hmm. So, Let's let's talk about that because I also want to talk about some trainer assessments that they can do, and I'm sure, sure. there's a lot of Absolutely. crossover between that uh, because you know it's mostly trainers that are listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them, maybe they can say, "Hey, if there's some self assessments for clients, there are a lot. There's a lot of virtual training going on right now, so you know they might need to coach some people through self assessments."
1: Absolutely. What, what are those? They can be a lot of things. And for me, self-assessment involves using your eyes primarily. And the reason I say that is because we need to look, first of all, at posture. Posture is going to tell us so much about the individual. So for me, a lot of times I will just have them take a picture of themselves sideways. Now, for us as personal trainers, I have been doing a lot more of this online. I've been doing a lot more of this virtual. And I got to tell you, the first time I did it virtually, it felt very odd. And I had to adjust what I do because of what I do. And I'm very tactile in nature. I you know, will you know, do things with my hands or be able to feel their spine or do whatever I need to do. And here I couldn't. So what I was able to do is sort of develop an eye and be able to say, okay, so take a picture from the side, take a picture from the front, take a picture from the back. Do you see any abnormalities? Do you see a shift when they are standing, where their shoulders are sitting off from where their hips are? Do you see a rotation? Do you see where one belt where their belt line is higher on one side than the other or from the side where their belt line is tipping forward or tipping, tipping backward or they're just their waistband? I should say all of these things will give you an indication of whether or not they maybe are stuck in an anterior pelvic tilt. So they are very, very tight in their lumbar spine, you know, things like that, using your eyes. And I have a lot of pictures in the book where you're using your eyes to really see, okay, what do I see? And as a self-assessment, I'll have them go and stand with their back against the wall. Something as simple as standing with their back against the wall and seeing how big that space is between their low back and the wall. Can you fit your hand back there? Can you fit both hands back there? Can you fit a fist back there? Or is it so flat you couldn't fit one, one hand back there? These are all easy ways for them to see, oh, wow, I am really in a major, major lordosis. And as we know, it goes up and down the spine. If you're in a lordosis, you're probably going to be kyphotic. And let's face it, we've all become that when being online so much. And that puts us into more of a lordosis here. So we find that doing this all day long. And that's the sort of thing that I want them to realize. And then I'll have them lie down and lying down. Okay, can you put your hand under your back here? Great. If you can, how far can it go? Or is there a huge space? Is it a low back arch versus a mid back arch? You know, does the arch moved up a little bit, which means that their ribs are flaring upward, which means they may have some thoracic uh, issues. There may be a lot of tightness in the thoracic region. All of these things you can see and figure out just by having them go through some of these exercises. And from there, I might look at hip flexor uh, flexibility, where I'll have their lying on their back, both knees bent, and I'm going to have them bring one knee into their chest and then start to extend the other leg out. As they pull that knee in, depending on what they have, again, if they have a uh, disc herniation, they may not want to be a flat back position, but if they're fine being flat back, pull that knee all the way in and begin to extend out with the other leg. As they extend out, can, there, can that leg go flat or is that knee bent or is it off the ground? All of those can show you how tight their hip flexors are. So that's another thing that we can do. There's a lot that we can sort of look at. And again, we can do that virtually. But for someone doing right. it by themselves, because let's face it, I'm sure you've never had anybody like this in your classes, Rick. Uh, I've had a few of these in mind <laughs> where someone will ask a question and you know they're asking about themselves. There's no, yeah, question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no question about it. I have a client who, no, 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 it's you. I know it's you. We all do. And what I found out through my research is, and this I found fascinating, the people most injured are the truly sedentary and the over-exercisers. And personal trainers come into that second category. So when I teach my class on low back pain, most of the people in that class have experienced low back pain or in low back pain, right then and there. So these self-assessments, they can do on their own bodies. Because let's face it, how many of us have someone that we can work with and trust and know that they're going to know what they're doing 100% of the time in looking at us whereas if we can do a self assessment it's kind of cool because we're like oh i can see this on my own body right
0: right yeah exactly and one of the funny things too is that when people know that you have the ability to help them it, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like the that uncle that is a mechanic and every time anybody that knows him has something going on with a car, they always are like, hey, can you help me with my car? Can you help me with the car? So we get these, we get people reaching out to us all the time. They're like, I've got a little hitch in my giddy up over here. Can you have a look at this? Can I see this? Can you just tell me what to do to fix me? Exactly. And and it's funny, like sometimes it's just time, right? Like um, I think one of the best things that I heard from, uh, it was a, Physical therapist, I, I wish I could recall who it was. And they said, "Our job isn't to fix you. Our job is putting you in the best position so your body can fix itself." Absolutely. So we we don't fix anything, but we can put you in a better place to allow for that to be fixed. So, with that being said, there there's kind of a, a list of things that that you go through and you address. Um, we talked about the spondylolisthesis. Um, you mentioned something else just a moment ago, which is a herniation. Right. So can, can you go through kind of the categorization of what that looks like from, you know, uh, how bad to how bad and sure. what, what, what it means. And is there such thing as a slipped disc? And is that the same thing? There's questions I get a lot. I'm sure you do too. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> uh, There's a lot of those questions, oh my gosh. A disc herniation, usually it starts, these are all what I'm gonna call uh, accumulation injuries because rarely does someone just blow out a disc unless they have an acute trauma like a car accident or something like that. These are usually things that happen over a period of time, especially with the uh, disc because we have all those annular fibers surrounding the nucleus that they actually protect that nucleus from wanting to sequester out, wanting to go through the wall of the uh, annulus fibers. And they're all at different varying angles and whatnot. So it really provides a lot of strength. But over time, our, you know, the disc material can begin to work its way through until it wants to go out. So we usually see a bulging disc first, oftentimes. And a bulging disc could be anything from a tiny little bulge to a pretty severe one that's actually impinging on the nerve. And the interesting thing is until it impinges on the nerve, a lot of people don't even know they have it. They say thirty, and most
0: people do, right?
1: Like right. There are
0: a lot of people that have it and have no idea.
1: Absolutely, thirty percent of people who have, this was seen through cadaver work. Thirty percent of people who have disc herniations had no pain, never had a back problem. You know, minor here and there, but never you know this debilitating thing that you would think of as a disc herniation. And that's okay. That's because it never touched that nerve. You can be one hair's breadth away from touching that nerve, and you may never feel it. But those who have, for whatever reason, because they're in a lordosis or whatnot, and that bulge just touches on that nerve, oh, my gosh, it lights them up like crazy, and it's always going to be an issue. Now, right. that bulge can turn into a herniation, whereas it actually breaks through instead of, you know, like a balloon pushing its way out. Finally, it actually pokes its way out. And now the disc material is what's pushing on that nerve. Okay. Okay. There's also a time when that can actually get trimmed, that gets snipped off, and now you have a foreign body in that area also pushing on that nerve. These are all issues that someone may have to deal with. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I've read this a number of times with athletes. A disc herniation, if given enough time to rest and heal, a lot of times it'll go back in. Now, there is a path for it to go back out, though. With the disc herniation, it never heals up. That path is always there, and it's always going to find the path of least resistance. So the chances of it going back out and reherniating is actually pretty, pretty likely. But if you can stay in a position in which you don't cause that nuclear material to want to push out, then you're good. And that's the trick is you want to find the right position for this person, what their neutral spine is. And there's a, there's a question that would
0: go on there, right? So if I'm in a lot of flexion, then that would seem like it would create this posterior bulge Absolutely. towards the backside. So that Always. would be an example of things like crunching isn't good for your back. And, and I'm in a position where crunching is fine for your spine if your spine is fine, right? right? Salt's good in your diet, unless you have heart disease, right? And then you probably shouldn't have that much salt in your diet. Like you have to be aware that it's conditional. With that being said, Brian, um, let's talk about squats, right? Mm -hmm. And and there is a big push for people to go deep down into squats. And i recently did uh, an episode on butt wink or that posterior tilt that takes place when people drop down into a squat. Well, the problem is that if you're lowering down into the squat, and your goal is to get low in a squat, not necessarily to do the best form in the squat you can do. Um, Again, that may not be the biggest issue if you don't have spinal problems, save one thing. It's not one squat that made it happen. It's repetitive, squat, 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 posterior tilt. Here's the thing. When you come out of that posterior tilt, that is you lifting a loaded spine, right, with back extension. Mm-hmm. So you are basically back extending and compressed at the same time. Well, that's that's kind of a double dip, wouldn't you say, as uh, as far as um, potential contraindication for for the spinal position. Now Absolutely. you can lower down into it, and if you don't go into that posterior tilt, then you'd be fine. Also, any mm-hmm. additional squat that puts you down that low, if you go into a posterior tilt, then getting out of it, if it's getting out of spinal flexion, it's not more glutes, it's not more
1: legs, it's more spine. Exactly. So
0: be very aware of that positioning.
1: Absolutely. Whenever I hear any of these things, and over the last few years with you know, CrossFit and the like, which there's nothing wrong with if your body's built for it. I have no problem with any of these types of training techniques, but I always ask my clients one thing, why, what's your reason for doing that? Because I've had a number of people come in and one of the tests that I give them is a squat test to see where their knees are, is their internal rotation of the femurs, you know, see if they go into a flat footed position, all of these things that I just glance at when I'm doing an assessment. And some people will drop their butt all the way to the ground. And I say, oh, who taught you that? Oh, my last trainer did. Why? Now, if you were having to learn how to use the restroom in the jungle where there's no bathroom and you need to squat that low, feel free. That's one reason to do it. But would you do it with a loaded bar on your back? Maybe not. Not in the
0: bathroom anyway. Pardon? Not in the bathroom anyway. No, not in the
1: bathroom. (laughs) So for me, it's always been, okay, why would I want to do any of those exercises anyway? If I have a back issue, okay, why would I ever want to put a loaded bar on my back and go in a position where I'm going to, because I'm using both my legs, put a sizable amount of weight, plus I'm a decent-sized guy, going up and down, that's putting way too much pressure on my spine. Now, when I was 20, it was fine. But now that I'm almost 50, it's a little bit different. And that's why I'm much more into more of a single leg squat type of person where I'll have them do more of a lunge position or putting their foot elevated onto a BOSU or something like that and doing it with dumbbells so they have less load on their spine. I can, I can really fine tune where their spine is and keep it in a healthy, happy position. You know, that's more of my methodology looking at the same type of thing because I can get a lot more out of it doing a single legged than I ever could doing a bilateral because a lot of times your spine is going to be your limiting factor, not your leg strength.
0: Right, yeah. Let me let me first of all do this for those of you who are listening. This is Brian Ritchie. He is a medical exercise specialist. He has his own medical exercise studio based out of DC. And uh, he just just completed a, a, a book and got it published. I'm very excited for, for him for that. Um, we're talking about low back pain. We're talking about low back discomfort. We're talking about the personal trainer's place that fits in there. With that being said, if you happen to be on the Facebook live right now and you are listening to the show and you have a question for a client, Brian, for a client <laughs> for a client not for you not, for a not client me. <laughs> Not you
1: for a client. Yeah.
0: Then, um, then I'd, I'd like to hear about it. You have got a question that you want to ask? Then, then please, if uh, Greg, you're you're there and we've got some action going on, then then pipe in and let's actually let's actually hear from some of these folks. There he is. Hey, Greg. Hey, how are you guys? Another radio veteran here, myself. So good to be <laughs> joining two other former radio hosts as well. Uh, Andrew in the chat wants to know: Once you fix a client, Brian, do they remain with you? Or do they head
1: back to their original training studio?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, first of all, I want to get one thing clear. Please take the word fix out. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm not saying you put that in there. I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying please don't put that in there. because uh, that's not what we're doing. And I gotta tell you, I'd say 90% of the people do stay with me because they feel safe. And because their personal trainer may not have the specialty to really do what needs to be done to keep them safe. Because again, with a disc herniation or any of these other spinal conditions, they don't go away. They're not going to go away unless you do surgery. And then guess what? You have a different condition. You've got a spinal fusion, which we cover in the book as well. So you're still going to have these conditions that need to be managed forever. And a lot of times clients will see me working with other clients, my higher level clients. And we're doing all this crazy Viper stuff and all this kind of stuff. And they're like, wow, I didn't know you worked with just, you know, general population. I'm like, oh, no, that person has, you know, these conditions. And they're like, how? I say, because we worked up to it. We got them yeah. stronger and stable. And now they can do more of that. But you know what? Occasionally they go play golf. They play tennis. They hit flared up. Right. and. I have to tweak their programming and make sure that they're okay. Now, I do share some clients where they'll see a personal trainer as well as myself, and that's fine. It's a little tougher because I've worked with some that we work great together with no problems, and I've worked with some that, let's just say, I end up sort of dismantling them week by week and doing a body-off restoration to get them back into shape because the other trainer does hurt them. So they come injured every week and I want to, and I can't say don't work with them anymore because that's not my job. I hint, (laughs) I'll be honest. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I like that they want to work with another trainer sometimes because you know what, that'll spur me on too and make me better. So I don't get stuck. And I I think one of the things with trainers too, is that so many
0: times they think that their job is to crack the whip. Mm -hmm. like This is what they think their job is. And unfortunately, you don't get people adhering to the first rule of anything when working with somebody, which is, first of all, do no harm. Right. right? That's our number one job, yep. is don't hurt anybody. And then, in the process of not hurting, push them to help them get whatever their goals are, whatever the results that we want to get through. But there's got to, it's always within a limit. Absolutely. It's always within a limit. Like everybody has a, a, a capacity at which they can work. Um, you know, some people, yeah, you know, they, they can do exercises, right? Like they've done it enough. They don't get sore. Some people, one set of 10 body weight squats are going to be sore for two or three days. Yep. So we need to know who our client is and be very aware of that. So with that said, um, thank you. Uh, Greg, do we have any other questions? Yeah, Priya in the chat wants to know, uh, Brian, what are your qualifications and what makes somebody qualified to do what
1: you're doing? Uh, I'm a medical exercise specialist. Uh, The American Academy of Health, Fitness, and Rehab Professionals created the post-rehab conditioning specialist, the medical exercise specialist, medical exercise program director certifications way back in the 90s. And it was created by Dr. Mike Jones, who actually realized that personal trainers needed to be able to work with his, with his uh, former patients when they were discharged because they did have some residual functional deficits. So I took the first PRCS course and just fell in love with it, and a lot of my clients were injured in one way, shape, or form from the past, and I started developing a, re- a reputation as being able to help these people. I went on to get my medical exercise specialist certification and then my medical exercise program director's uh, certification through them. And over the years, I've been teaching this and I've taught for uh, the American Academy of Health, Fitness and Rehab Professionals. I teach for Balanced Body. I handle a lot of their science stuff, anatomy, anatomy in 3D, things like that. So I've been teaching this for many, many years. I've, uh, my degree is in kinesiology and exercise science. So I have a strong, strong background in it uh, from the University of Hawaii. So for me, it's always been a passion to find out more and more And quite frankly, the reason why the spine has sort of become my specialty is because I got hurt when I was in my early 20s. I, you know, ruptured two discs and that put me back and taught me, oh, I should learn more about this. So over the years, I've become an expert at it and been teaching it for so many years, but I'm still learning. As I said, I, I would right now put more into the book because I'm constantly learning. Constantly reading more journal articles, constantly reading things and trying to educate myself to be better than I am and talking to people like Rick, uh, who when we get together, we just start talking shop and two hours go by and we're like, oh, man, we really got to (laughs) go. Yeah, that's when we learn and we share ideas and we collaborate. And I think that's the best thing about places, about communities like NASM is created and, you know, Ballast Body is created. We've created these places where people can come and collaborate with one another. It's not a competition. It's more of a getting together, meeting of the minds. And once I realized that, I thought, okay, this is where I really want to be. And this is where I'm not just the nerd by myself in the corner, but these are nerds. These are my nerds, you know, my anatomy nerds. And I dig it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to mention this about
0: fitness and education. And one of the things was when I first started in the fitness industry, and I was studying for my exam. So I'd gone through a course that the the company I worked for had created to allow me to start as a floor trainer in the process while I was getting my national certification. So I would ask other trainers questions. I'd ask questions like, oh, why is this rep range this? Or why this exercise is this? And so many times people were just like i don't know man and i was like but but why like why is it like them? i don't know and so that that bothered me and they were like i don't know just like read the book and take the test and then you're good and i was like oh that must be what you did like you read through it you took the test did enough to pass and then let it go and i want to i wanted to and i became part of a community of trainers, a smaller group within the larger number of people that were trainers at that gym that wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. Like we wanted to know stuff and we talked about stuff and we debated concepts. Yep. Like that was fun, debating a concept and not just trying to self-rationalize, but well, where did you pull that from? having a good idea is only a good idea if it's a good idea. Like right. it's an idea, but can you back that up? Is it supported by any evidence? Um, this, these communications are what really created value and a drive and a hunger for higher education because I was part of a community who wanted to know and wanted to share and be a part of that. So, um, so, so that's vitally important. Before we wrap up, I'm going to ask just real quick, if uh, Greg, if there are any more questions, because I don't want to keep people hanging, because I know low back discomfort can definitely be something that, that a lot of people inquire about. Yeah, Emily wants to know which is safer for lower back pain, squats or deadlifts? Is there, is there a
1: preference? The, okay, it depends on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I say that is it also goes back to form. I'm not a big fan of either one of those at the beginning. Now it's taken me years to get back into a deadlift and I'm very comfortable with doing it, but I like using the hex bar where I have the neutral grip. I believe that one's actually the safest for the most part. I also don't believe in going all the way down because if you go down too low, you have a tendency to do that butt wink. Uh, I'm definitely not a fan of squats where you're going to put the weight directly on your spine. Uh, Just think of it this way. When you put that weight on your spine, can you maintain good, proper posture at all? Or is your head naturally forward and your shoulders are now hunched a little bit? You're already changing your spinal dynamics before you ever go into a squat. So if you're loaded any decently, you're going to be in a weird position to try and do that. A front squat almost might be a little bit safer just because you're able to keep a better spinal angle. But again, is it the safest exercise? when there are so many other exercises you can do for your lower body, I don't know. I personally like to deadlift. Uh, I've worked my way back up and it's taken me years to get my back to the point where I can do it safely and comfortably, but I also have to keep my back safe. So there are some days when I try it and I say, ooh, not today, not today. But other days I'm like, yeah, I can rock it. So you gotta do what's best for the client. I'm not a huge fan of the squats. I like the one-legged squats better. Deadlifts, if you do it safely, Watch how low they go. Watch to make sure they're in perfect form. I think they can be done correctly, but just watch the weight. I don't believe there's a reason for someone to need to do a 500 pound deadlift, except you're showing sure. off. Yeah, that's true.
0: Uh, and, and understanding the population, particularly the population that Brian works with at a medical fitness studio, like that, that response is the perfect response for somebody especially who's dealing with people that may have a lot of orthopedic issues and especially spinal orthopedic issues to be well aware of. So again, this is Brian Ritchie who is a medical exercise expert and owns the Fit for Life DC, a medical exercise studio in the district of Columbia. So uh,
1: by the way- before Before you go- Yeah, yeah. With that last question the one thing I want you to always ask yourself is why. Okay. We have why days in my facility where I'll walk up behind one of my staff and I'll just say why. And they know that means why are you doing that exercise with that client? And it's not that I'm trying to check on them. I want to make sure that they have in their brain a reason for doing every single exercise. And they're not just going through the motions and giving them repetitions of something because, well, we got an hour to kill. And well this is a good exercise, so we may as well do this one. I want to make sure they have a why. Now, If you have an athlete who needs to do certain exercises, you have a why to do squats, or you have a why to do deadlifts, or you have a why to do box jumps, or you have a why to smash a tire with a sledgehammer. I'm sure there's a why behind that. I don't know what it is. It's kind of cool to watch. Or flip a tire. I don't know. If there's a reason for it, go for it. Keep them safe. Keep them within their lane so that they're not going to get injured. But if there's a reason, then go for it. But again, my population, I probably won't be doing a whole lot of that. So you have to ask right. yourself, is, is that the goal of your client? Or is the goal of our client really to be better functional or better in a functional capacity, to look better, to be able to do activities of daily life better, to maybe do a little weekend warrior stuff? Is that Are those their goals rather than is their goal to be able to deadlift 250 pounds, double their body weight, or to be able to squat their body weight or something, or is that a goal that maybe has been put upon them by the trainer, which sometimes happens? So I I ask you to ask yourself that. You know, what are their goals? Are you seeing their goals or are you putting your goals on them?
0: That's a great thing to bring up. And when I was a manager, um, and I did management for a large corporate gyms for several years. And it was during the time where the word functional training started turning into something that wasn't just like, can I get you back to function? But it would, meant the most absurd movement you could do just because your body can do. It. And so, you know, we had people that were single leg on top of an Eric's pad, with their eyes closed and a body bar in one hand and a lat sweep cable pull on the other. And, and so it was, so I would tell people all the time, regardless of the absurdity in, in that particular exercise or any other exercise, I would say, if you can't explain why, then you lose the option to do it. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to explain why or you lose the option to do it. And that became very important. It's kind of like thing that just kept going around the gym, which is, you know, you, you heard of Simon Sinek always saying, what's your why? What's your why? That was, we were like gym version of that before that came out. We needed yep. to know the why and you were there as well, right? Like uh, understanding the importance of rationale not just here's an exercise that gets my heart rate up, or here's an exercise that is challenging. It's got to be more than that. It's got to it's fit into the program, the results, and the assessment process. And that's all based on the feedback that we get from our clients as well. That's so cool. with that said... Uh, let's let's go ahead and uh, wrap up because I want to be respectful of your time and our producers times that are here um, and I want to take this moment to shout you out cause one more time for your book man congratulations it's fantastic. Here it is. There it is. <laughs> what is it So there are the audio only people what do we
1: got? It's uh, it's called back exercise stabilize, mobilize and reduce pain. Uh, it really, it's an all-in-one book. It's going to take you from every, it's gonna teach you, first of all, the anatomy, then it's gonna teach you self-assessment, take you from self-assessment into a lot of exercises, but then break down each different uh, thing that may be going on, every condition. We do generalized low back pain, herniation, spinal spondylolisthesis, stenosis, and surgeries. And you know, I'd say 85 to 90% of the people are gonna fall into one of those categories. Then it gives you six months worth of exercise progressions in one month chunks. You do these exercises for a month, then you progress to these exercises for a month, then these exercises for a month, then these exercises for a month. So you've got six months worth of exercises all in one. So it, unlike physical therapy, where a lot of times you're given the exercises and then it's like, bye, this actually tells you how to progress down the road. And that's really what I wanted to make sure I gave people is where do you go next? How do you progress this? And that way, hopefully after the six months, you're ready to transition into the gym where you can do normal exercises. But some people who don't want to join the gym, I explain what to do in this too. And just say, look, here's what you have to do to keep your back healthy, happy, and strong for the rest of your life.
0: Perfect, excellent, congratulations on the book. What is a way that they can find
1: you and find the book? Okay, on Instagram, uh, back exercise backexercisebook uh, is our handle. And you can also reach out to me at fit the number four life l i f e d c as in District of Columbia. Uh, that's my secondary handle for my personal stuff. Uh, we're also on Facebook, uh, Brian Ritchie or fit for life DC as well. And those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. If you want to email me, feel free. I'd be more than happy to answer any questions that didn't get on the air today. Brian b r i a n at Fit, F-I-T, the number four, Life, L-I-F-E, D-C.com.
0: Fantastic. Cuz, it's good to have you on the show, man. I appreciate that. I
1: it appreciate was a it. to
0: see you. Everybody, thank you for joining in. Check it out. Um,
1: has these, but they're selling out. I got to warn you, they do sell out, but Kindles don't sell out. I got
0: mine.
1: So, uh, with that being said, appreciate it. If y'all have any questions
0: for me, you know, reach out to me at ritchie on Instagram, rick.ritchie, R I C H E Y. We spell our names correctly, at nasm.org. This is the nasm CPT podcast.